What's up, guys? How are you all? Good, thanks. That's good. Yeah, good. I feel like there's a uh, like a weird thing happening here. Does anyone want to uh, move up the front or like bring the chairs up the front some more? Yeah, let's uh, let's squish together. Come in. Yeah. Come in. Why is your wife sitting first? Yeah, I know. That's what I, that's what I want to know. Huh? No, I bought two packets. Yeah, yeah. She she made up for it. So yeah, that's right. I demanded the sacrifice. All right. Um, good to see everyone. How's everyone going? Is anyone sitting exams at the moment? Hands up if you're sitting exams right now. Hands up if you've finished exams. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah me too. All right, that's good. All right. Um, okay. Uh, let's, let's pray before we do anything else. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for the time that we can spend together. We thank you, Lord, that you promise that we're two or three gathered um, under your name, in your name, Lord, that you're there in the midst. So, Lord, we invite you and we... Um, uh, we look forward to what you want to say to us, Lord. We just pray that we would have open hearts and open minds um, and receptive uh, um, uh, selves, Lord, so that we would not just hear these words, but we would actually live them out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, um, uh, I was at a blank about tonight. I was at a blank about what to share with you guys tonight. And I'm going to take you through my process as to what got us to what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, uh, first of all, I'll be completely honest with you. It's there's a bit of an agenda. There's an agenda here. Okay, we're about to start um, a leadership team for this young adult meeting to have a vision, to have a, um, I guess, direction, and to actually uh, maximize the, the the gifting and the talent that God has given each one of you guys, as well as um, you know the group as a collective, um, and so. The agenda behind tonight is that this is a kind of a rallying the troops kind of uh, message. But the other element to this was for a long time, as long as when we were serving in youth, which was a long, long time ago, um, I've had this really uh, deep, um, profound sense of... Um, uh, I don't know what the word is, but a bit of a, a, bit of a grief, uh, like a grieving. Um, and that is that I would see a lot of you guys, because a lot of you guys were in youth back in the day when I was there. You just lost every... And, yeah, that's right. That was, that was Sunday school even. But, um, but yeah, uh, I would see a lot of you guys and I would see uh, very clearly, like really without a shadow of a doubt, these gifts and these talents that God was giving you all. Um, and I would see you guys not use them. I would see you guys like kind of hide away or be shy um, uh, or, 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 or not believe in, 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 in the, the fact that you would have a gifting and a calling from God to use these gifts and talents. And I always, uh, one, of, one of the analogies or metaphors that I heard from somewhere, I can't remember where, but um, was that, you know, the idea is we're all, we're all players in this game. We're all players in, in, in uh, if you want to use soccer as your metaphor, or football, pardon me, or if you want to use whatever sporting metaphor you want to use. We're not bystanders. We're not on the sidelines. We are people 
who are called to actually be in the game and to play it. And I think you're all, some of you are great defenders, some of you are great wing, wing backs, and some of you are great uh, attackers and whatever, you know, I don't know anything I'm talking about. But the idea is that you've been gifted and talented. And so the, that's the other motivation behind this tonight is I look at each of you and I know some of you more than others, uh, but, but yeah, I look at each of you and I know, despite how much I know about you, I know that God has given you something to use um, and to glorify him with. So that being said, when we think about uh, service and ministry and like, you know, um, particularly in the context of like, say, for example, a, a meeting or whatever else, there's a few things that can come to mind. Uh, let's take a moment. What, what, what comes to mind when you hear the word ministry or you hear the word service, like just right off the bat and no right or wrong answers. What do you guys think? Jesus. Jesus, great. That's that's a wonderful thing to think at all times. <laughs> right? Tithing. Okay. Yeah. So sacrifice. Beautiful. Preaching. Preaching. Singing. Singing. Worship. Respect. Commitment. Commitment. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Yeah. It's an important one. We may as well say it again. Yeah, you're right. So. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> so, um, so uh, yeah, I think you kind of covered what I was thinking about when I was reflecting on this as well, which is that, you know, I think there's like three camps of people when you bring up the term. So, and by the way, obviously we're talking here about Christians and all that kind of stuff. And so apologies if that doesn't strike with you, but as a Christian, when you hear the word service or ministry, I think you can think of it in like three separate uh, camps. And maybe I'm wrong. You could correct me later if you want to. But the first camp is some of us actually feel really pressured by it. We look at the commitment. We look at the sacrifice. Sacrifice, the sacrifice. <laughs> and we think to ourselves, man, that's, that's a lot. And uh, then add on top of that any insecurity, any doubt about ourselves, um, any doubt about our relationship with God or his calling over our life. And then all of a sudden you feel intense pressure. Um, and you feel like that's too much and I'm not sure if I can and it's, you, you can't dip your toe in the water let alone kind of say I'm, I'm all for God um, in, that, in, in, a, in a service kind of way. Some of us can actually feel completely the opposite like totally nonchalant and like I don't care it doesn't even cross my, pardon me, my mind I don't even think about it. Um, uh, it maybe because it's too hard but also maybe just because if God wants me to do something, he'll get me to do something. And like, you know, this attitude of like, what will be, will be. And there's no like intentionality or, or heart uh, for that or to engage in, in service, whatever that would look like. And then some of us, uh, and this is something that you guys didn't mention, but I think happens for sure. And I know it has definitely happened in my heart and in my life is that it's almost like a status. Um, it's almost like it's something to gain or to work your way up towards. And you'll look at some churches and some people and the way that they actually approach their ministry is that it's like their title and their, um, like it becomes their identity essentially. And it becomes essentially an idol and something to chase after and to gain. Um, and I don't think any of those ways to view ministry is healthy. Um, and I don't think any of those ways to view ministry and service is biblical. Um, and so tonight we're going to dive into one story um, that will, uh, I think, very s nicely show us what service in the kingdom of God looks like. 
And it is demonstrated by none other than Jesus himself. So, if you want to open up John chapter 13, we'll have a read together. And this is the story, as soon as you'll read your heading in the Bible that you open up to, if your Bible does have headings, you'll see that it says something along the lines of, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. The very well-known story. Whenever we approach a well-known story in the Bible, I think we should always get in the habit of doing a couple of things. First is try to erase your memory and your preconceived notions about that story and come into it as fresh as you possibly can and eager to see something new. The second thing is try to know the context. And that has become my catchphrase of late. But context here is really important, as it is whenever you read any part of the Bible. Um, And the context here is that this is the last day of Jesus's life on earth. Uh, Literally, he's 24 hours away from uh, dying on the cross. And um, this is he's celebrate. He's about to celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples, with his 12 closest friends, one of which has already had his heart twisted and is ready to betray him. The deal's been done. Everything's about to go down. And then as a result of that betrayal, literally every other one of his disciples will abandon him in some form or shape um, as, t- as, as this 24-hour stretch goes on. That is the context of this story. Um, and uh, let's have a look at what Jesus does. So John chapter 13, beginning from verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour, his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So, okay, last night, last night on earth, he's choosing to spend it with his friends um, and, and followers. This is a significant, important moment. I wonder, if you knew it was your last day on earth, who would you spend it with and what would you choose to do with that time? Uh, you knew without a doubt you were going to die within 24 hours, what would you be doing? Shady, Say again? What? Okay. <laughs> that was inappropriate? Okay. Shady, <laughs> well, that's nice. You should, you, should, you should tell him. I think he would, he would like that. Um, so, no, no, it's all good. So, 24 hours, you're going to die. Jesus... Jesus chose to, uh, to, to spend it with these 12 guys that he's been on the road with for three years. And uh, yeah, like we said, one of them is going to betray him uh, and he knows that. Um, and he chooses to do this uh, in the beginning or as part of their meal together. This is what happens. So uh, the other important thing to, to note here as well is that um, it's uh, John. So the way that John's writing this is you can you and you'll be able to tell as we read this story. Um, he's writing this like raw, like this is a guy who's sitting at his desk or whatever, and who's remembering this, these moments. And you can, you can see that he's framing it with the knowledge that he has now of who Jesus is. And he's trying to put us as the reader, um, in this place of like, you're sitting there and you know, the big picture and you know, what's going on in Jesus's heart and you know, what he's, you know, the intent behind what he's going to do and, and the tragedy yet the beauty and the love behind it. So he's saying this very uh, lovingly and, and, and with like great tenderness. And he says that he knew that his hour had come. 
that he was about to depart this world and go back to the Father. And he, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This, this, this complete, full love. And what John is saying here is he's saying that what is about to follow, what Jesus is about to do, is an outpouring of this love that Jesus has for these people that have uh, called him teacher and Lord. And so this is what happens during supper. So some of us think about uh, this event and we think that it's the beginning of the supper. Like they enter into the, the, the room, the upper room, and they're about to like chill out. And then all of a sudden Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa guys, hold up. And whips out a towel and a wash basin and is like, all right, just uh, sit down there and let me. No, that's not what happens. It's during supper. And I wonder if you've ever thought about this before. Um, they would have started the meal, right, during supper. So they would have started the meal. Now, back then, their tables and everything like that, it's not like this. You don't sit at the table like this and you've got your feet dangling down the bottom. And even if they're smelly, they're too far away from the food to really notice or anything. No, no, they recline at the table. So they're literally like kicking back. There's pillows under them and around them. They're kicking back. It's probably a U-shaped table or something like that. Jesus is in the prime position. He's in the middle of everyone. And uh, they're sharing this meal. And then Jesus kind of like pauses. There's probably a bit of a smell going around. You know, they, they would have traveled long and far. It would have been a hot day. Um, and, you know, there's feet are all around the food and everything like that. And who knows what it would have smelled like. But there were donkeys and there was dirt. And you can only imagine. Those of you who have been to Egypt probably can imagine a little bit more clearer. But anyway, the idea is they're there. And during the meal, Jesus pauses. There had been time up until this point for someone to have said, oh, let's, let's, let's wash feet. Because that was a customary thing to do. You, you would, you know, this is a thing that... And so there would have been time. Maybe Peter could have gotten up and said, Jesus, oh, I want to wash your feet. And you know what? I bet you any of the disciples would have happily washed Jesus' feet. But... I don't think many of the disciples would have been happy to wash each other's feet. And the proof behind that is that you'll hear time and time again in all of the Gospels, the, 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 um, the disciples arguing with each other about who's greatest, who's the best, who's most important, who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus when his kingdom comes and all this stuff. And so these guys... Whoever's going to offer to wash Jesus' feet is, should, as courteously, probably offer to wash other people's feet or at least not reject other people um, from like, you know, them washing it. And so there's time. Time has passed. Their dirty feet are there. And during the meal, Jesus stops. And this is what he does. Knowing the Father, uh, and John takes a little moment to tell us that Judas is there as well. So it's not just everyone who's got rosy, loving admiration for Jesus. There's one person there who's about to um, uh, betray him. So verse three, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Knowing everything, knowing Judas was there, knowing that no one else chose to speak up and do anything, knowing that he's about to go to his death within 24 hours, knowing that 
um, uh, that these you know that these people, all of whom will soon betray him, knowing his status, knowing that he is God made flesh, that he is one with the Father, that he has all authority and power, knowing all of this, out of knowing all of this and who he is, his identity, what does he do? He starts washing their feet, and not half-heartedly, he like changes. It says he changes. He takes off his garment. He puts on the, the washcloth. He, like, he goes all in. He's like, pause, let's do this. I've been smelling your dirty feet for the whole meal. Let's do this. And <clears throat> the idea is here, you know, service doesn't come out of uh, a, a sense of reciproc- reciprocity. It doesn't come out of this sense of like, all right, I'm going to do this for you because I expect this to happen in return. And it doesn't happen after someone has done something for you. It also doesn't happen because you're meek and mild and you think you're worth nothing and so therefore I need to serve someone else because I need to get people to like me or whatever else. It happens because you know who you are. It happens because you know that you belong to the Father. It happens because you know that other people need His love, even those who would betray you, even those who would, you know, uh, do whatever, even those who wouldn't help other people around you either. And it is out of that knowledge of who you are and out of that knowledge of who you are called to be is out of that that you whip on the towel and you grab the wash base and you get to work, yeah? It's not out of this sense of, hey, this is all about me or this is all about, you know, getting something in return or all whatever. So this, this is what Jesus starts to demonstrate to his disciples. In uh, verse, um, uh, I was thinking, what is like, because it's hard to think, you know, washing feet, um, it's a weird thing. Like, we don't do that, right? You, you have a shower. We wear shoes and socks. Our feet are pretty okay. Some of us, they might smell a little bit more than others. But in general, you know, we now have deodorizers for your feet. Like, we're pretty lucky, right? So we don't have the equivalent of what this would look like in modern society. So I was trying to think when I was reading this, like, what's a good example in modern day society? Like, what would this look like in modern day society? Does anyone, like, I don't have a good answer. I've got an answer. It's not very nice, but I would like to hear from you guys. But does anyone have any mental image of what this would look like in modern day society? The, like, dirtiest, yuckiest job that's safe for, like, the lowest of the low or whatever? Huh? <laughs> well, that's where my mind went. I went to, my, my thought, my instant thought was um, back to uh, first year as a doctor and intern and being called by a nurse to attend a patient who had not opened her bowels for about five days. And my job was to disimpact the poo that was stuck in there. Disimpact just is a fancy way of saying, finger up, (laughs) scrape a little bit so that it breaks it up a little bit so it's easier to come down. That was where my mind went, but um, I don't know if that's the equivalent here or not. Um, but yeah, the the idea the idea is <laughs> no, yeah, that's, that would be inappropriate <laughs> to say the least. But um, but yeah, I, I guess you know this this action that Jesus is doing now. This really is not something that a normal person would undertake or do. This is not like you go to Steve's house for the weekend and Steve being a good host is like, let me wash your feet. No, no, no. Steve wouldn't do that. Steve, even though he's a lovely guy and he wants you to be welcome in his home, Steve is not going to do that. Who does that? 
it's the servant that you hate the least or that has the lowest position in your family, if you're lucky to have a servant. And if you don't, then you take care of yourself kind of thing. So, yeah, so Joseph. So the idea here is this. <laughs> the idea here is this, is that this is not a normal thing for anyone to do, right? This is not a normal thing for anyone to do. The only person that would do this job is a person who, like, literally you would not even glance twice at um, if you saw them. Uh, literally, as they're washing your feet, you're not talking to them or engaging with them. They're just doing a utility. They're your, they're your shower. Like, they're not a, a person. And this is what Jesus, the, pe- the person that they have been following for three years, they've dedicated three, of their li- three years of their life to follow this man who they regard as the Messiah, the Christ, the one that was promised, and who they've heard pr- profound wisdom, profound miracles, and all that. This is the person who's doing this job. So it comes as no surprise when we read verse 6. Um, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Now, it's interesting because at different points of my life when I have heard this story, I've thought different things about Peter in, in this moment. Sometimes I think to myself, Peter was, that's a sweet thing for him to say. Like he's the only one who speaks up and is like, man, really? Like, no, like, that's weird. Don't do that. But then at other points in my life, I'm like, he was just really embarrassed. He didn't want Jesus to touch his feet in that way. Like, it's just very embarrassing. Um, and then at other moments, I've thought, what a, what a suck up. He's the only one that sits there and is like, well, this is a test, clearly. Like, you know, he, he must be waiting for someone to stop him. I don't know. I don't know what was in Peter's heart. Uh, these are just speculations. But he, he, he's, he says, no, like, don't. Because what's going on in Peter's head? What's going on is very simple. So simple that we take it for granted that we all know this. It's that this job is disgusting and is lowly and that you are God or the Messiah and therefore this should not, does does not compute, right? But, you know, the profound thing here is that um, this this is the reality of what it looks like to serve in the kingdom of God. That it's not about what makes sense. It's about whose heart and, and what God has given and who is in need and then it all going together. Um, because you see, Peter is looking at this job, this act of service, this washing of feet as a disgusting, lowly thing. But Jesus is not looking at it that way. In fact, the way he's looking at it is I am teaching the ones I love, the ones that I have loved to the end. I'm teaching them this very valuable um, uh, lesson and this thing that will become literally the core of who the followers of Jesus are supposed to be and live up to. And the idea is that what Jesus is seeing in this moment is very different to what Peter is seeing. Jesus is not seeing dirty feet and like, I shouldn't be doing this and they should have washed each other's feet. Jesus is seeing this opportunity to show his love to his friends before the end and to give them a legacy to hold on to so that when he is resurrected, that they would live in power to move on um, and, and to, to live up to this example. So this disconnect between this dirty act of service um, uh, and the way Peter sees it, and the kingdom of God just flips that upside down and says, what you view as lowly and weak and disgusting and you, I shouldn't be doing, this is exactly what God has come on earth to do. This is exactly what 
God looks like. This is exactly what the kingdom of God looks like. It does not look like being powerful and strong and you know having people wash your feet. No, it looks the opposite. Um, and then Peter, uh, Jesus, when Peter pr- protests, uh, Jesus says this in verse 7, What I'm doing you don't understand now, but afterward you'll understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And there's two things happening in that interaction. The first thing is the overarching story that we should be keeping in our head, the context, right? Context is, guess what? This little, this uh, parable in action that Jesus is living out right now, this is actually literally uh, what is about to happen and unfold on the cross, right? Jesus empties everything, goes to the cross willingly, dies um, uh, so that we would be washed clean, right? Um, and so that this, this whole thing that's going down is literally a, a representation of what's literally about to go down in the next 24 hours. But what's also going on is that Jesus is saying, you don't get it. You don't understand. You have your eyes right now. And last week we talked about um, dignity and doubt. We talked about what it looks like to doubt God and how a lot of the time our doubt comes from our own vision, our own perspective of reality, whereas God constantly tells us, don't look at your version of reality. Look at who I am. Look at who I am and what I've done and what I want to do. Um, And so the idea here is this exact thing. It's ignore your perspective. Ignore your own vision of the situation. Take on my eyes. You won't get it now, but one day you will. And if you don't let me do this to you now, if you aren't humble enough to allow this to happen, then we can't. There's no relationship here. If you can't humble yourself enough to realize that you're a sinner and that you need the love and the forgiveness of God, there's no relationship. If you can't humble yourself to recognize and to understand that your whole life is not about you, but is about (coughs) others and loving others and serving others, then there's no relationship with God. You don't know Jesus if you can't see that you are not the point, that you, you are far detracted from the point as possibly could be and that he is the point and what he is doing and what he wants for you and for others is the point. So then Peter says this in verse 9. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And again, you know, suck up Peter or, or is this just a dude who really loves Jesus? And he's like, I don't know. I, I think maybe a bit of both. But then Jesus said to him in verse 10, The one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And this is like a little weird aside for John to kind of take. And I, um, I was reflecting on this before sharing with you guys. I was like, should I just gloss over this? Should we like just ignore it and get on with like the main point? But there was one thing that kind of, um, uh, struck me a little bit and affected me. Uh, we always think, and, and I'm like, you know, John here is obviously setting us up to focus on the fact that Judas is the betrayer, right? But guess what? There was another person who betrayed Jesus. That I, Well, I mean, all of them, arguably, you could say all of the disciples betrayed Jesus because they all, in one way or another, left him at some point. But, um, but there is another person that we think of as betraying Jesus. And who is it? It's Peter. There's this guy who's saying one moment... Uh, 
you know, oh, don't touch my hair. Like, you can't do that. But then on the other moment, I was like, you can't, I can't have part of you if you don't wash my feet. Well, then wash all of me. This is the same guy who, within a few hours, is going to run away uh, when people are like, aren't you, don't you know this guy? Like, aren't you, you know, going around with him? Um, and Jesus, it's almost like, because, you know, Jesus will go on to say certain things to each of the disciples and will particularly point out to Peter um, the fact that, you know, like, be careful and be ready. Um, but uh, this is almost like another one of those moments where Jesus is kind of taking the time and saying to him, relax, like, chill out for a second. Like, you don't need to be this way. You don't need to say these things. Just relax. Um, you're clean. It's okay. It's nothing that you will do. It's nothing that you will request of me. You can't ask Jesus to wash more than what he has already washed for you on the cross. You can't ask him to forgive you more than he's already forgiven you. Um, and you can't uh, decline out of a false sense of humility. Um, don't do, I don't deserve it. You can't do that to Jesus either. You know what you can do to Jesus? You can accept him for who he is. And you can accept what he did for you on the cross. And you ex- can accept the calling that he has over your life. And you can tell him... Um, I'm with you and I recognize that even if I don't feel clean, even if I don't feel right, as Peter is about to feel, um, uh, I trust that you called me clean, right? And I, that's just a little aside. It has nothing really to do with the service uh, element, but it was just something I thought might be worth saying. So, verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. So again, you know, this whole attitude of service and what he's doing, it's not because he's declining those titles. It's not because he's forgetting who he is. It's precisely because of who he is that he chooses to do this. And he says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet or one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So you call me teacher, you call me Lord, you call me Messiah, you call me, uh, you know, whatever. You call me God for us in this room. You call me all these things and you see, you see what's unfolded. You see who he is and what he does. You can't ignore it. And if you do you are not letting these things strike you and impact you the way that they're supposed to. Because guaranteed, this is a big shock uh, to everyone sitting in the room, what just happened, what went down. So if you see him and you know him and you call him these things, you ha- there is a big gap left for you to fill. There's a big gap left to walk down um, along this road. And Jesus says this, For I have, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 16, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. A lot of us, again, you know, we think about um, what it looks like to serve God, what it looks like to go out and, and do quote unquote ministry. And we think, I'll do it when it's time. I'll do it when I'm ready. I'll do it it when God gives me a lightning bolt to the head and says, this is what I want you to do or or whatever. Um, And no, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. The idea here is 
that if you're following Jesus, then you're the person who's looking out for every opportunity to help others. If you're following Jesus, you know your master washed your feet and died for you on the cross and loved you and bought everything that it was required for you to come back into relationship with him and has given you a calling to bring the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. This is the one that you follow. This is the one that you call God. This is the one that you say you love. Then it's not about waiting for a time or for an opportunity or for a message. No, no. This is about literally in every waking moment you have, it's about saying, what do you want from me? And where, what can I do? Who can I serve? What can I do that is part of your kingdom that is for your glory? Yeah. And that's obviously really easy for me to say up here. Really easy to, to kind of, you know, all get along with. But that's exactly why Jesus says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Walk, walk the walk. Don't just talk the talk. So how? How? I'm not saying to each and every one of you, you got to go become a preacher. you got to go become a worship leader. In fact, if that was what I was saying, uh, that's a bad message. That's a bad take-home message. The opposite is true. Find people outside of the church. Find people outside of your Christian group. Find the Judases of this world, the people who want to betray you. Find the people who are falsely humble, who are at the slightest moment of trouble would be tempted to like run away from you and serve them. Find the people that aren't willing to help others and help them. These are the people that we're called to help and to serve. And if we're going to step up in ministry in this place, that's what it looks like as well. It doesn't look like helping each other just be closer friends and enjoying each other's time, which is great. And I'm not dissing that. But the idea is there needs to be the, the, the real purpose. And the real pers- purpose is not for you and I. The real purpose is for everyone else, is literally for everyone else. And so what does that look like? Well, we're going we're gonna to do something soon uh, where we're going to reflect and we're going to just sit before God and, and really like, like, please, sincerely, like, take it seriously. Please, like, let God speak to you. Let him actually convict you and move you and actually show you something that he wants you to do. We're going to do that in a sec, but um, I just want to end off by asking you three questions before we go into that. Who do you love radically? And we can say, I love my family, and then, but no, no, no. Who do you love radically? Because it doesn't, it's not radical love to love those who love you, right? And Jesus says as much. Um, turn the other cheek, right? Um, who do you serve sacrificially? And again, we're not talking about packing up the chairs or, um, you know, taking the kids at Sunday school or even worship or even standing here and doing this because that's not a sacrifice. It is. I mean, maybe a bit of time, maybe a bit of energy, maybe, you know, whatever, but like that's not a sacrifice. Who are you going, what are you doing? How are you serving in a way that it costs you something? Because if it's not costing you anything, you're not serving. And um, who are you following? Because if you think you're following Jesus and you're not living this kind of life, then I'm sorry, you're not following Jesus. Like you're not, you're following an idea of Jesus. Maybe you agree with Jesus on things and you're like, that's a, that's a pretty cool dude, and he's got some, 
you know, he's, he may even be God, but no, no, no. Are you following him? And if you're following him, that means that this becomes action. This becomes part of your life. So with that, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. So who are you loving radically? Who is God calling you to love radically? Who are your Judases? Who are your Peters? Who are the Pharisees that, you're, that God is calling you to literally uh, bear your cross for? Who are the ones that he's calling you to love radically? Maybe it's a group of people. Maybe it's one person. Maybe it's a certain type of person that you've been prejudiced towards or you've not liked or been distant from. Maybe there's someone that you can literally picture in your mind's eye right now. Some guy in class, some guy that you work with. Who is it that you need to love radically? And who are you serving sacrificially? What would cost you? What's your version of washing feet? What's your version of doing the worst possible, disgusting, shameful task that you can think of? Are you following Jesus? Do you want to? We're just going to take a couple of minutes now. I'm not going to say anything more. This is just time for you and God and just talk to him. Let him speak over your life. Let him guide your thoughts and what he wants. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that um, you wash our feet, that you went to the cross. Thank you so much, Lord, that that wasn't the end of the story, that you were raised from the dead, Lord, that you have power over life and death and everything that would bind us in this world, Lord, and that when you call us to be your children, Lord, you set us free from everything that would hold us back. Lord, we want to be set free. We want to know the abundance of the life that you want to live We want us to live, Lord, the abundance of what it looks like to serve you, to serve with radical love and sacrifice, to serve with an identity bound in the truth of who we are in you, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you for everything you've done. Help us, Lord, to live a life that would glorify you and that would bring your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.